That's one small step for brands. One giant leap for brand kind. You're listening to Food Chain, presented by Perfy. A big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform clarifies your ad performance across channels, keeping you instantly in the know. Hit the link in the show notes and use promo code PERFY for 15% off today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Food Chain. Today, we have Aaron Luo from Mercado Famous with us. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Basa. Excited to be here. Really, really uh, interested in diving deep in some of the topics. So thanks again for having me. Same. I, I think this is our first episode talking exclusively about me, and I can't wait to jump in. No, I'm on the same boat. <laughs> awesome. So before we jump in, we always ask the guests, what's your background? How'd you get to where you are today? How'd you get into meats? So my name is Aaron. I'm, I'm the co-founder CEO of Mercado Famous. We're based out of New York City. And the best way to describe the brand in one sentence is that we are attempting to introduce this marvelous meat to the American consumer at honest prices. So, and then I'd have you know, much deeper into what that all means in a few. My background actually is in finance and operations, but my family has been in fashion and global supply chain for over three decades. In addition to Mercado Famous, we also manage a, a high-end uh, handbag luxury brand called Cara which is known for our functional high-end handbags in terms of design. And interesting fact about myself and my co-founder, you know, I'm Chinese in terms of background, but we both born and raised in, in, in Spain. I was actually raised in Madrid, Spain, and my co-founder, she's from Valencia, Spain. And that kind of ties into a little bit of a story in terms of how we initially founded the brand. But, you know, we're, we're Chinese from Spain, came to the States for college and kind of stayed there. Love being in the United States. And over the 15 plus years that we lived in, in, in the U.S., you know, the one thing we always struggled with is finding good Spanish charcuterie, which is something that we grew up with for everyone who have visited in Spain. First thing you probably see as soon as you hit the airport, it's probably jamón, right? Jamón, chorizo, sarchichón. And those are staple things that we grew up with growing up in Spain on a day-to-day -day basis. And we just struggle finding that in the years that we live in the States. And for the stuff that we could find, either they are overpriced because we felt that you didn't have to pay an arm and leg for a leg of ham or sliced pieces, or the stuff that you do get for more affordable prices, the quality which is not as good as we like them to be. And I'm sure we're going to dive into this a lot more deeper. But on top of all that, every single charcuterie brand just felt very heritage, if that means anything. We just felt a little bit stale. Everything feels a little bit horse head, not disrespect to horse head at all. Just have all that look and feel. And we just didn't want another brand as we started Mercado Famous to be all that. But yeah, I'm sure we will dive into that in a bit. But yeah, so that's the start is that even though our background is in e-commerce, fashion, high-end luxury, design, a Vanglo manufacturing, really we just felt that there was a need to, I hate the word disruption, just because I feel like it's overused, but really introduce a different kind of charcuterie meat, specifically from Spain for the American consumer. So. That was the initial mission how we started the brand. Fascinating. I got like all of my questions answered in that, not the questions for the show, but in my head, I'm like, you have such a fascinating background. How do like, how do all of these roads converge into Mercado Famous? And then as I was 
researching your background, the handbags too. It's so cool. But when you said finance, global supply chain, and then meat and handbags, oh, that makes sense because you're importing meats and using yeah. the D word disrupting the meats that we see every day in America. It all makes sense. It's almost like part of the recipe and ingredients of a product. Yeah, that definitely helped. For anyone who is attempting to import anything from overseas, there's definitely the check and balances that you got to do, right? I mean, there's definitely a process. There's definitely partners out there and happy to dive into that a little bit more, but it can be a little intimidating if you haven't done it before. I think luckily for us, because of our experience in global manufacturing, you know, manufacturing in Italy and China for our handbag brand, you know, we're kind of pretty versed into that world as far as how do we want to bring anything into this? So there's definitely a lot of synergies there in terms of learn from Kara. I think the main thing we're trying to also prove with the brand, Mercado specifically, is A, and first and foremost, bring the best that we can find from Spain into the U.S. Introduce that in a very organic, non-ostentatious way to our consumers. So the brand from the get-go was very much attempting to create a brand very much D2C in a space where most of the product it's sold in large retail. And I think that's a very much proven model, right? Us ourselves are very much you know, looking at the model, actually having good conversations with a lot of grocery stores, grocery chains, and large box retailers and see what that equation looks like, what that process looks like to distribute through them. But part of our goal, and this is very much learning from Kara, which is a DTC brand, is how do we actually form a relationship with our customers through e-commerce and through digital content. The brand has been launched now for about almost a year. So we're still very much young. We're still very much in the startup mode, but all the KPIs actually decay that. That's very much doable. It's tricky from a unit cost economic standpoint and a bunch of KPIs. And that's you probably know all that from your background, but it's very rewarding for us to see that we're slowly building a community and interacting and conversing with our customers through e-commerce. The one of the things that we're trying to learn from Kara as we start Mercado was to establish a DTC brand that historically speaking was never be able to achieve selling directly to the consumers and always sold through grocery stores. So I say disruption, it's disruption through introducing a product that's new, that's different, that not many people know about that are the prices that I think are honest, but also just proving that business model a bit more. Yeah, it's super cool. Like I would never think to order Trader Joe's prosciutto from Yo. or Boar's Head or Salami online. But when I got, when Maddie from your PR team sent me over some product, I was like, one, it was super light. Got to be easy to ship for like your break costs or your shipping costs. Yeah, but two, it was so damn fresh. It it was so good and so different from any experience that I've had. These types of meats, I was like, why didn't someone do this sooner? I'll go into all of that in my raving review of your product, but I want to punch in a little more since we went into like the supply chain and importing. I get a lot of like Expo West last week. So many people say, we'd love to export your product to here and there. And as a founder, like in my head, like I've never exported anything before. I'm thinking there are a million different questions. Like how does that different? How does that work? What are the taxes like? What sort of certifications do I need? Does it go on a ship? Does it get flown? What are all of these things? How did, obviously you have a background in that, but can you explain to anyone listening how you think through creating a product in one country and selling it meaningfully in another? Yeah, great question and a tricky one because I think it varies very much between country of import and a country of export. So there isn't really one silver bullet that says, hey, do this and your problems are solved because I think different country does have a re different requirements and varies a little bit too depending on the product. 
for us, just to double click into that a little bit more, when we export a product out of Spain, that industry itself is very regulated, especially for our Iberico product. Iberico is the gem of the Spanish jamón. There are different types of jamón in Spain. And just to give you a high level range, there's few and there, actually there's many that we can explain, but the three that we carry are the major categories of jamón, which is Serrania, Serrano, 50% Iberico and 100% Iberico. And within that, there's some different permutations that can come out of it, but those are the three that represents three major categories of Amon. Iberigo is the most expensive just because Iberigo A, it, the breed itself, it's much more of a noble breed, we call it, just because it's much more marble than meat. It's, it comes from a heritage that just produces a very nutty flavor of meat. Of course, the diet is very important as well, but just sticking with Iberigo for a minute, the reason Iberigo is very regulated in Spain, it's because historically speaking, there's been a lot of fraud happening in that space. So people are basically exporting low-grade pork and calling that Iberico. So Spain, the government of Spain, you know, the Ministry of Agriculture basically regulated that, and it's extremely well monitored. And there's a bunch of all that needs to happen. So for us, we essentially needed to really master that process as far as working with our farm and making sure that pro that particular export can happen. On the U.S. side, because it's meat, it's very much regulated by the USDA. Essentially, we have to maneuver through the overall supply chain and understanding exactly what are certificates and what's the process that needs to happen in order to import the product into this. Just for full disclosure, took us over two and a half years to actually finding the right partner wow. and that supply chain lockdown. For many reasons, A, of course, we needed to get through that process, but most importantly, too, is that we needed to make sure that we're working with a partner, that farm that's sustainable, that shares the same values as we do in terms of how we raise the pig, but also how we cure the products. So just to give you a little background for our farm, instead of using a mass industrialized partner, where basically, you know, to simplify the math a little bit, or the equation a little bit, the way it works is that if you are industrialized mass produced farm, you essentially, you will butcher the pig, put it into a fridge, turn on the knob, 12, 16 months later, come back and get the meat. More or less, I'm oversimplifying. For us, we care extremely for our our, our animals. Um, and there's a full process that we go through. But most importantly, also, is how we cure our product itself, right? So instead of going through a refrigerator, we actually cure our products in the cave in the mountains of Salamanca, which is northwest of Madrid. So when I say finding the right partner, yes, it's to lock down the supply chain process for exporting import, but also finding the right partner that actually share the same values as we do as far as how the product needs to be raised and sacrificed and and cured, and also have the scale. I know I'm sharing going a little deeper into the whole process, but in, the, in an interesting way, we actually found many farms that we wanted to work with in the early days, and, and we couldn't really work with them because they couldn't scale. But they were really great local farmers with a really great practices that we really loved, but had a very few animals that we could work with. And as we think about scaling, especially for a market like the States, we needed to make sure that we can crack up the heat a little bit, right? If we need to raise. So there's a long time to to get that right partner to actually check all those boxes and, and all that. So I guess to answer your question about that, the process is intimidating. You have to be extremely educated because all that is regulated. If you miss one step, essentially you just can't import. Finding the right partner both from the supply side in Spain and finding for the right partner on the trade and import side is extremely important. So that I guess that's the high level answer as far as how, how the importing works. 
Incredible. I've got a few questions. The first, just a curiosity question. Yeah. Were you able to launch Mercado after, like I remember containers to ship across the ponds was three or $4,000 when they're usually a thousand, 1500. Were you able to come in right after that or did you have to deal with some of that? No, we came out after that. We got lucky. I know exactly what you're talking about because with Kara, with our uh, with luxury, I might brand, we suffered that the that, that high attempts of doing cold prices or, or shipping just, we thought it was in the double, it ended up tripling. Thankfully, by the time we kind of start launching, the prices start going down. So fortunately, we didn't have to deal with that. But that's a great question. We got lucky there a little bit. Very cool. You take it where you could get it. Another one was, we talked about fraud and fake Iberico. Is Spain, because I really like the fact that they're so strict on it because people have taken advantage of it in their food system. I created Food Chain because I think America's food system is pretty broken. Is Spain like this with everything or is it because of the heritage of your meats, specifically Iberico, that they want to be so strict? Yeah, another great question. For now, the answer is just with the Iberico. You know, you're very good. You're not a lot compared to other products because I you really compare apples to oranges. But just, if you have to draw a comparison between kind of Iberico Pam, um, it, it's right the one mm-hmm. it, it's such a highly regarded meat and it's sold by gram. That's why we sold by gram versus pounds, just because it's a highly sold after meat that takes anywhere between eighteen to twenty four months to raise them and a cure. Tremendous amount of effort funds and love goes into bringing that meat to the States. And the government realized that it needs to be regulated just because it's in, in a sense, it's the flagship of Spain when it comes to, and it just cannot be temporal. For now, it's Iberico, just Iberico being regulated. I think that over time to your point will or might change. And that personally, I think it should just so that I think authenticity is extremely important. And you have the luxury space already, right? Many of the luxury goods from LV to Gucci and they not, and then another dozen are serialized. A lot of them have very specific microchips and different ways that brands actually insert to the product to protect authenticity. I'm so glad that actually Spain has that kind of regulation in place. And, and it's no joke, like certain countries, I think a lot of times just they pay lip service to certain requirements or regulations, but. In, in in our case, every single batch leaving Spain has to be audited by the Ministry of Agriculture and get a stamp. Every single one. There's no, oh, you don't have a black, black car historically, or you never had any violation historically, I'm going to pass you that. No, every single one, which a little bit of painful to go through that process because it is a government entity. Sometimes they're not the quickest, but at the same time, I'm glad that stoppage is there to avoid the bad actors and actresses in the game. Yeah. So it, I, I think it's a great question and I the country move towards a, a more regulated way comes to authenticity. Yeah. I think that's so cool. One from a like literal authenticity, you have a stamp of approval from a government entity that no other competitors can possibly have. One, obviously, yeah, they're not like certain brands in America aren't creating their product in Spain. But two, it just gives you almost like an influencer effect where if X, Y, or Z influencer posts about your product, millions and millions of sales come in for random people. We all know what happens when certain people post about products and they go viral. I think that it's almost in effect something, it's like a point of difference in your product that other meats just, they can't have quite literally. 100%. And we hope that's to your point, something that can differentiate us with obviously other Spanish 
meat brand, but also just meat, similar meats for other countries as well. It is that the reason this is such a sold out product, it's because the taste is superior to and that, that has to be that because obviously taste is very subjective and varies per person. But I mean, it's a meat that A, comes from a highly sold after ray breed. The race itself is a very good pig, which actually, if you really look into where it comes from, originally came from the wild boar. Actually, their immediate kind of forefathers of that breed comes from the wild boar. So it's a meat that is extremely lean, that has a very unique flavor. And because we raised them based on acorn, when you eat it, it's extremely nutty. It's just, you can't replicate that. And again, I hate comparing this with prosciutto just because, you know, I think we are comparing apples to our own just like I said before. It's, and, and God bless prosciutto. I, I personally love it and I think it serves its purposes, but it's really different. It, it's much milder meats and the, the taste is it's a bit more complex too. So anyways, I think it's one of those things that we hope that we can educate the customers a bit more as we introduce the Iberico and, and hopefully start spreading the words a little bit more into the States with one of our flagship products. This is so cool to me. I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. I've got a million different questions. I've got to pick the ones that I think are the most interesting. How do you translate the 18 to 24 month raise of an, a pig? Do you everything that you need to do to get it into a package, get it across the pond, get it like ship it to customers or eventually get it on shelving grocers or, or chains or whatever. How does it stay so good? Yeah. It's like vacuum sealed and all that. And that does a lot of things but it's just so dang different. The, um, Americans are going to compare it as much as we don't want to, to certain meats that we have here, but there's just nothing like it. It's darker. There's less fat. Like when you pull it from the sheet, there's not, you're not like ripping fat off and your hands are getting all greasy. It's nothing like that. How do you keep the quality so high when it's starting thousands and thousands of miles away? That was such an important, important topic for us. That's as far as like we knew, right? That if we bring something that far away and our shelf life for most of our product is two years, something three. So we said, look, that's all great, but the flavor and the freshness of the good has to be there. Otherwise this is a non-starter. And that was hard. It took us the reason I mentioned this two plus years in terms of getting the bread up and running. Branding is part of it. Of course, the bread takes time to develop. In terms of finding the right supply chain partner and finding the right packaging, extremely important. The main thing is that packaging that we do. So it's a you know, proprietary packaging that we do, we call it skin vacuum, that basically vacuums the meat in a way that can conserve the meat for that long without being spoiled. To a point where if you have one of our products, and for example, taking camon or taking one of our sausages, sarchichon or salad or, or, or chorizo or lomo, they come in basically square slices, right? And then they're basically packed one after another. If, when you open that vacuum, because the way we're doing the vacuum itself, if you only, for example, open the package halfway, the other half that you did not open, you actually don't really even have to refrigerate it. That's how good the packaging itself is in terms of vacuum. So we invested in basically of some vacuum te technology to make sure that A, can sustain two plus years on the shelf without being refrigerated, but also that most importantly, sustains the actual freshness or maintains the freshness as if you were just basically carving or cutting the meats from day one. That's a little secret as far as why we're able to bring all the way from Spain and be able to actually make a shelf stable. It's because of the vacuum technology that we use. So cool. And for anyone listening, when you buy it and you have it like, and you're pulling it apart, there's something really cool about it where like the plastic kind of 
separates and makes your life easier. There's other meats that I've bought and, and like the plastic's like one full sheet and like it rips the meat and it was just such a great experience from the taste to the way it looked to the way it arrived to literally like pulling each slice off. No, thank you very much for adding that. And, you know, in terms of the packaging itself, right? I mentioned this before that we are trying to reinvent the category. And sustainability is very much at the heart of what we do overall from in our farming practices, all the way to how we package the goods and ship it to the customers. We really paid also attention to the different package materials that we use. So when it comes to the trade, what's the minimum amount of plastic that we can get away with, right? While still be able to actually take advantage of the technology that we're using for vacuum. When you look at the overall outside envelope, it's using 100% sugarcane recycled biodegradable paper comes from Colombia. It took us a long time to find the right level of paper that feels very high-end, feels very almost boutique, you know, it, so it's not mass-produced and it's not mass-produced, but at the same time, that is good for the environment that we're not cutting trees down. We're cutting sugar canes down, but we're not cutting trees down. So yeah, all that had to come in play as far as how we ultimately present the brand to the customers. Yeah, it's well put together from beginning to end. We're transitioning into the next topic and might as well go there. How, what inspired you to make the branding so cool? Like what would, what was your inspiration behind it? One, and how much of it came from having a, also a high-end luxury handbag? Yeah, this is a very, a very dear topic to my heart as far as branding goes. It, it's, it's funny because a lot of times, especially when you look at the charcuterie space, right? And I'm going to draw some comparison to, to luxury space overall, but just for the charcuterie space, everything just felt very Again, I hate using those words because I don't want to bash any other brands because I think are killing it, right? And doing a good job for the particular audience. But just everything feels very European. Everything just feels very a little stale. I'm just going to come on, come on and say it. And again, Oscar Mayer and, and Boris. Again, nothing against them, but I just want to illustrate some points here as far as like it, everything just felt very, like I said before, very heritage. And there's an audience for it. I think actually there's a huge audience for that. For us, we did not want to introduce a brand that's very ostentatious, right? We did not want to tell you that, hey, to really enjoy this product, you've got to go out there and find that Chateau 68 and really conserve that and really sit down in a special occasion. They, none of that. Our actually branding from the get-go has been, hey, look, take a light if that's what you like. Get a couple pieces of bread or either that's it, you're going to have bread and just enjoy with the family and friends. That was the spirit that we're trying to introduce with the brand is that this is a product that you should introduce and enjoy with you love. And you don't have to go all your way to get fancy cheese or a fancy wine or fancy anything, right? You just enjoy it however you want and it's something for everyone. The branding, as you saw right from the get-go with our website, instead of traditional carving of the meats or what have you, it's a group of friends, many of them with great tattoos and it's hanging out and chilling. It's and that's the mission behind the brand is to introduce that Spanish lifestyle for any of you called happening in Spain. I and mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's gathering with friends, drinking whatever you want to drink and having a little appetizer and having that a moment together. So that was very much the essence of the brand is to make, to hopefully show what being in Spain will give you a little window of how being in Spain would look like. So that was it. That was, and I said before, in terms of how we're trying to disrupt and or introduce something different to the category, 
is that we want to give a little bit different spin to what charcuterie should look like or how it should be enjoyed. I track for the social media content that we get from our followers and it gets better and better. Like just this week, I saw one of our customers actually just like hanging out, I think with his girlfriend just on the streets of New York. That looks like they just literally were just walking around, opening a pack of Mercado Famous and just enjoy as a snack. Like I love that. You know what I mean? There's no white gloves sitting down and it's just, hey, it's a snack. It's a healthy snack. And I enjoy it with my girlfriend or whoever I want to only go. So that was the kind of background behind the branding and how I want to tell the story. It's so interesting because it's like, it looks very designer, but it's so approachable because I've got tattoos myself. And anytime in business, people are, well, at least maybe five, six years ago, people were very, oh, we can't show any tattoos or you can't do this. It's just normal person, but it's, it feels very elevated. And I think a lot of people are. For sure. For sure. And to a certain extent, we want to make that point, right? It is that inclusiveness can be elevated. You know, we learned that from our fashion days too, right? In fashion, the concept of beauty has changed and shifted in a very good way, right? In the last I think especially in the last five or six years, is that race, gender, inclusivity in terms of just anything, anyone can be beautiful in the right lens, right? Of course, we we did definitely invest in branding. Not everybody can pull this off, but we ended up partnering with the rates agency to help us bring to life what we envisioned. Branding is no joke. Of course, talented people have to be involved to to bring your vision to life. But yeah, I think in the right lens, I feel like inclusiveness, it's extremely important. I hope, hopefully that comes out in the branding, the packaging and the website and the images. Not every day you have Chinese, Spaniard, American introducing a Spanish Halong brand and we just kind of want to make it fun and interesting. Yeah, I love it. I think it comes across well. It's just so cool how it feels almost like a human. I think, I think the goal for a lot of brands, it wasn't always this case. But when I first got in my career a decade ago in marketing, it felt as that time every brand wanted to be a brand. And as the years have gone on, we've slowly realized that brands should feel like a human. And I think that Mercado does that very well. Like you could, I could see people in New York literally right now at a park enjoying this of all different shapes, sizes, colors, classes, credos. And it's just an exciting job. And I think, it, I think you guys did a great one. Thank you. And that's a very good way of putting it, Basa. I think, I feel like it's moody, it's different, it's real. Not everything has to always quote unquote traditionally perfect open the perfect lens of things. Imperfection, it can be beautiful if you put it in the right, right lens. I'm purely covered by the branding standpoint. I can talk about this stuff forever just because I'm saying the branding aspect of things, especially for a CPG brand. But no, I think you nailed it. I think seeing it as a human, very much how, how we share that with our team in terms of how we're kind of famous. Yeah. My take is like, if you can make your brand a feeling, then can't do like a normal marketing thing that marketing people do and say, oh, our customer is this person that wears this color shirts on these days at this job and they shop at this place with this many kids. I never take that approach. But if you can create a brand that feels like something that anybody can feel that way, anyone can feel happy, anyone can feel sad. I, I don't mean to like blow smoke, but like, it's just a great job where I appreciate that there's tattoos. I appreciate that it feels high end. And I think anybody can. Often that's the hardest part of branding. We think we did a decent job introducing the brand. Of course, this thing, it's an evolving beast and we'll constantly thinking about elevating the brand and introducing something different and pushing it to the next level. But thanks for saying that. It, and we very much share the same view. Very cool. I'll, I got one last mini topic that's interesting to me. I chatted with Phil Lempert maybe 20 episodes ago about this rise in anti-meat. Like it, meat is going to end the world. 
Yeah. <laughs> how does how do you navigate that when I won't even get to the studies and the science and the research behind it, sure. but how do you navigate that having a very awesome meat brand when so many people think that the product that you make is inherently ending the world or creating chaos? Yeah, tough and good question. I start by saying that you mentioned this Expo West and I was chatting with some friends and also with our team in, in the PR side. I do feel like that the world has, and I don't want to say fully swing back, right? But I think a few years ago and maybe even more, I think there's been this huge exposure of meatless alternative. And for many good reasons why. I think it's good for the environment. It tastes very similar. I won't go into all of it. I think, you know, most people know why meatless meat has its place in our grocery store. Let's just put it that way. But also, I don't want to kill all of the consumers that appreciate good meats. I think there is a group of people, myself included, that can definitely appreciate meatless alternative, but I do want my own meat. And if I get my meat, I want that to be well packaged, produced, sustainably raised, right? And as long as it checks all those, I will buy it. I will buy it because I still enjoy meat. So that's the consumer that we're going after. It's to put that woman or man that's looking for that high quality products that is sustainably raised, that's responsibly cured, that's packaged, and that tastes amazing. We want to service her and service him. So that's the that was the mission because we believe that. And of course, it's not believe the data still shows that there's huge portion of our population that actually still in a way you're getting into kind of a debate as far as is it bad for the environment look farming is harmful and let's go sugarcoat it. farming in general especially when it comes to animals does have some ecological ramifications and, and i think that's a fact and certainly we're aware of it i think my role in this film in this movie and in, in this play right is be aware of it and constantly pushing myself and our team to make it better. We are aware of it. We should not deny that. We should not be ignorant to say the contrary. But at the same time, knowing that we still want to consume these type of products, how do we make it better? We try to push ourselves in packaging. We try to use as much recycled material as we can. We try to consolidate shipping packages, both from Spain and over here to reduce carbon footprint. We raise the animals in a sustainable way by giving organic products. You know, our farm is striving for carbon neutral footprint. I mean, there's a lot of things we're trying to do to be better, but that's how I view it. It's that I think anybody who says the contrary about farming is probably not well-educated enough to point up acknowledging it. But I don't know, man. I, I do think that there's a little bit, I don't want to say pendulum fully swung back. I just don't want to ignore it. It's certainly not kill that audience of, hey, what about me? Once, yeah, I want good meat. I want to taste good and I want quality. I can still eat alternative options, but meat, it's part of my diet and I want to embrace it. Yeah. I respect and love everything you just said. I think for me, it's the small brands trying to do bread better that always have to pay the bill of the large brands that are after the profits and that are doing things unethically and in a greedy way. I think about, won't say the brand, but a dairy company who had undercover people film how the cows were treated. I think there's several instances of these. There's undercover footage of, of pigs in America being fed trash with mold all over it and plastic bags when the plastic needs to be pulled and so people are getting more microplastics in their systems often i feel like the bad actors and actresses in 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 our industry to a certain extent are the ones who 
makes the biggest impact and perhaps not trying more than they should. I agree with you. I, I try to control what we can just because of course I have a philosophical debate with anyone any day, right? But I feel like to put our mouth where our money is, sorry, our money where our mouth is, I think that we're just going to try. We're just going to try our best. We might not have the largest impact into your point against some of the giant counterparts that we have in the category. But I think for me, at least helps me sleep at night <laughs> to know that I'm contributing to something better. And I think our customers care too. To, to an extent we can, we'll try to tell the story to our customers. Look, when it might not be the hungry pan gorilla in the room, even if we're a little monkey, we tried our best to, to make the world just a tiny bit better. Very relevant question. And I think I'm not a wizard, so I don't know what the crystal ball look like. I definitely think the alternative needs deserves and demands and will stay in the, in its place in the grocery store. Although in the category, I think that would not go away, but I think meats should also be there, but should be there in a way that I think done better yeah. for all the, I think like even you could go further, like you're doing it in an honorable way, 18 to 24 months, organic fed acorns. Like I wish all raising of animals was like that. Cause I'm an animal lover, but I also know that meat's important at least for that's my opinion is that meat's important i only want to eat meats that are high quality and where the animals honored i know that's weird because ultimately you have to kill them but that's just my take is if it was treated right while it was here it knows probably that it has to go at some point and that's just my take yeah one last thing to add to that point because i think it's a funny not funny but important distinction to mention in our farm we don't call it killing an animal we call it sacrifice i noticed that earlier (laughs) i noticed because we want to honor, honor them, but of course, utilizing all the parts of, of the animal, but it's now we, we jokingly, but not jokingly say our pigs really live a marvelous life, a marvelous life culminating one by day. That's how we see it. Very cool. Aaron, I really appreciate your time. I will link to like, I'll link to your personal LinkedIn, your business LinkedIn, your IG, all of those good things. And I'll go to your website and I'll link that as well. Thank you for joining the show. It's been an honor chatting with you and I really enjoyed learning about your business. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak to you and speaking to the audience. It's been fun and I think we we touched on some great topic. Thanks for the chat. All right, everybody. Until next time.